0: Welcome to Tiny Futures, a conversational, multi-hosted podcast about the so-called aftertimes, precarious living, and the stories we tell ourselves amidst the dying throes of late capitalism. I'm Daniel, a novelist and author of the forthcoming essay collection, How to Look Away.
1: And I'm Nancy, assistant professor of English at Cal Poly Pomona. And
2: I'm Roje, a writer, editor, and marketer.
0: In this podcast, we ask, what exactly are the aftertimes, what happens next, and what the fuck is going on? As longtime pals, we fielded these same questions in group texts, voice memos, and over watered-down drinks. Now, we're inviting you into the group chat as we work through the discourse and unpack the curios, curiosity, and kvetches of the shows, books, TV, and current events that make up our lives. We're channeling into your head today from three locations, Nancy's Los Angeles, California, Rojay's New York City, and my Dallas, Texas, where this podcast is produced. Today, we're talking the phenomenon of Spare by Prince Harry, a number one New York Times bestseller and a blockbuster memoir that's been the subject of countless think pieces and primetime interviews and news items. It's a title the New Yorker has called compellingly artful and The Atlantic has called a scorching account Of life in a golden cage, unquote. The memoir details Prince Harry's life from birth up to his very public split from the royal family in recent months. It reveals some incredibly private moments and launches questions surrounding the traditions of the royal family and his place in the 21st century, as well as Harry's. As an artifact, it's a compelling node of the moment we're living in today. And I get into it with Rojay and Nancy in a second. But first off, how are you guys doing?
2: Doing good. Doing good. A lot of a lot of layoffs right now in in tech, but oh fuck! It seems to have settled down in my day job. So yeah, you know, that's all's good. good at the moment.
0: Like, you think that all of the layoffs that have happened or will happen are pretty much done?
2: No, no. In the industry and like industry wide, so in advertising, probably not. But, um, but yeah, but it's impossible to predict. I'm hoping you know the market takes an upturn or at least. It seems like we're we're maybe going to hit that soft landing sweet spot. So,
0: yeah. I saw that the job numbers today were something like, and I had written them down, like 3.4%. The job numbers just came out today, this morning. That's the lowest unemployment rate we've had since 1969, which is wild. Like in January, they added something like 517,000 jobs to the US market. It's like... It doesn't seem to be cooling down at all. You know what I mean? But I do wonder, like, I mean, to go along with sort of the the theme of the podcast, which is like no futures, the Fed seems hellbent on creating some – it seems to think – they seem to sort of say that we need unemployment in order to cool inflation. But I've always been dubious of that argument.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure about that either. Um, I think there's a lot of hype around this. I think the media won't stop writing articles of being hysterical about job market growth. And I don't know, a lot of this could just be real growth. And I think the tech sector is where I would say the labor market has been especially bloated just because all of these companies overhired at once. That seems to be cooling off. So that's a kind of real market correction. But I don't know, I don't think that these added numbers are, are necessarily like cause for alarm but I'm also not a macroeconomic expert so I don't know how are you doing Nance <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing good do think? I don't,
1: I, in my job we are not going through layoffs thankfully um, but we do have you know a number of students that um, are not enrolling in classes for whatever reason and so we're doing with we're dealing with those kinds of budget issues um, that could be tied in with the fact that our students are, you know, they commute to campus, they're working class students. So they're probably getting laid off and they're like, don't have money. Got to go find another job. Um, so it's, it's all connected. But on my end um, right now I have a job, thankfully.
0: It's interesting because I, you know, I, I noticed this and I, I talked to you guys about this earlier that there is like we have the best, job market that we've ever had right now it looks like they're going to do execute the soft landing but you know right behind that you have this chat gpt thing that is looming over everyone's head right now especially for those of us like Nancy and, and me who work in higher ed it's it's you know the rubber has already hit the road and then there's buzzfeed which we know that you know the laid off 12% yeah. of people and then they are able they they i mean they they mentioned what was it last week that they're including chat gpt or they're they're integrating into their business model stocks shot way up yeah, it feels it feels increasingly precarious for a lot of workers, not just in higher ed, but everywhere.
2: Yeah, I mean Buzzfeed. I think you're seeing the intersection of a lot of industries. But as far as I know, that company sort of shifted from being like, do you guys remember the early days of Buzzfeed when they would actually I do am. journalism?
0: Yeah, when they would like. <laughs> yeah. Remember
2: when they'd go out and like actually do reporting and interview people and find a story. But I think they leaned very heavily into you know what we are is really an advertising business, and where I think there's going to be like if there if we do see automation and just a slaughter of jobs, it's going to be in that like kind of like low hanging SEO uh, world of like ad copy.
0: Totally, I mean it's it's so incredible. Last last I had read, they were like real estate agents were using ChatGPT to write the copy for. Their listings they'll they'll just put like a you know bulleted list of what the house has you know three bedroom two bath et cetera et cetera and then they'll just write this elegant beautiful copy because it's a formula like so many of these things in our lives are formulas you know we could talk about recommendation letters the copy for that kind of stuff but also buzzfeed listicles and i think of like code and we had talked about this earlier that you know it seems to be spitting out pretty accurate code in various languages swift javascript and i i do wonder how comforting some of these numbers are especially with the layoffs we're seeing in tech and the way in which some of these companies are integrating chat gpt into their operations a little bit quicker than than we had envisioned or at least i had envisioned or i had imagined but i don't know nancy do you see this like affecting higher ed at at all or is it going to be like i don't know more of the same
1: um, you know, I, I so far the conversation, at least at the faculty level, is um, talking to students about both the usefulness of AI software, um, but also cautioning them against plugging in uh, a prompt into something like ChatGPT and then printing out an essay and turning it in. So our conversations with students are about plagiarism and how that's academic dishonesty. Um, but, you know, we also talk about what this means for our future because it's not like we can sort of tell them don't use it for, ignore it and then move on right like it's it's part of our world now and we see not just with buzzfeed but we see other companies investing in ai software a lot um but yeah i think in that sense uh is the only way that i personally have engaged with this conversation I'm interested to see what it does for just like teaching and learning, right? Like, are we, yeah. are, we are we going to be talking mm, yeah. about ChatGPT and AI software is building online learning platforms that are just as good as sitting in a physical classroom with a specialist? I mean, I've seen you know you were ta- Daniel, you were talking about the the house um, and how the guy used ChatGPT to write the description of the house that so you yeah. saw it. Um, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter talk about how ChatGPT is this prediction model and sort of the outcomes are going to be very kind of like run-of-the-mill average like answers. Um, But people have been focusing on asking ChatGPT about structure rather than like, rather than write this essay, instead like give me an outline and that kind of interaction with the um, AI software. Um, that I think yeah. is is probably um, like a better conversation to have, and not just like oh, is AI going to steal jobs?
2: It's mm-hmm. kind of like,
1: well, how yeah. do we use it to get better outcomes in our whatever industry we are? Um, I think those are the kinds of conversations we need to pivot to.
2: Yeah, yeah, so, like a couple of things. So kind of circling back to the tech layoffs. Those are not because of Chad GPT. Those are I'm I'm like, I feel pretty confident saying that they are just a result of easy liquidity and companies over hiring because they were too optimistic about what their prospects would be like. This type of bloat is common and cyclical, um, but whether or not this recession, if we are going into a recession, whatever is happening would be an opportunity for them to embrace more automation in the form of something like chat gpt that i don't know that's a very likely possibility and as far as like using chat gpt both in industry and in the classroom i do agree that outlining seems to be the easiest way to introduce it so it's like changing jobs and to my mind it's like making jobs slightly like more annoying because the idea of like, <laughs> like yeah. it's no longer how do we get like, if you're like, it's ad copy, how do we get the best copy? It's like, how do we manipulate this thing, <laughs> you know, this software that's going to change by tomorrow into giving us the best possible thing it could spit out? You know, it's like adding a, like a, a, another layer of abstraction that may be where it's not, it's not needed.
0: Wouldn't it be nice if ChatGPT could answer all of our emails?
2: That's
1: like half I of my job. Could... I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, man. <laughs> I wish you could scan and then just reply, like, based on my personality and tone. Like, sometimes I look at an email and I'm like, oh, I'll just tell you tomorrow. And I wish that AI could do that. <laughs> you read it and go, oh, I'll just tell
2: you tomorrow. Best, yeah. Nancy. And <laughs> it's, like, kind of ghoulish, too, though, right? It's I don't know.
0: Got kind of a ghoulish, you said?
2: Yeah, because imagine, like, as soon as you die – all of your like archive of stuff is just fed into chat gpt and you lead this really weird ghostly posthumous existence where you're still like chatting with your family on group chat
1: yeah is it this a mirror episode yeah like remember i think it was yeah he orders the like plastic wife that he lost um and it the software just uploads everything from her chat every like everything she ever did online is uploaded um and then he has this relationship with his wife well dead wife um that's that's great at first but then it gets very gross and complicated is that
2: the donald gleason one yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i vaguely remember it but in like black mirror they always become like vaguely conscious there's always like a version of you that's like wait a minute where did i come from what am i doing here why am (laughs) i just stuck in this family chat
0: Yeah, The weirdest thing I remember from that episode is when they're doing the business, like they end up, at, like you know, getting intimate. And there's like the rope, the thing has like a function. It's like, Ugh. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah,
0: I don't know. That's neither here or there. I'm just like, it's
2: this chat GPT. To replace when... how you just, <laughs> Sorry, yeah,
0: there <laughs> <laughs> we go. You, you broke a, you broke the seal. I broke the seal. There we go. Got the first <laughs> f bomb in there. Jeez.
1: yeah, no, it's just. I was just still thinking about that. And I was like, man, just AI mimicking your most intimate moments that you didn't think it had access to. Like this would be a great like Dave Chappelle skit (laughs) where like you're talking (laughs) to this AI software. And then it's just like, remember that time in your sleep when you did this? And he's like, "Uh, (laughs) remember
2: when you ate all those spiders? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) It can like empirically analyze exactly how many you've eaten. I, what I I mean, we already know our search history is like, that's public data. That's going to be like public data as soon as we die, which is terrifying to think about. How many times does this chick need to look up how to make chicken soup?
2: Yeah. Oh, Why yeah. can't she remember?
1: Yeah. They just start automatically saving stuff. They're like, you've been here 50 times. We're going to save it for you.
2: Because you I can. feel so ashamed no. when that pops up. It's like, continue your journey yeah. to this same site 50 times.
1: <laughs> I do the same thing. I just did that for dinner the other day. Like I kept like, like uh, on my phone, I just forgot that I wasn't closing the window. So I kept starting a new window and like looking at yeah. the same recipe, <laughs> I had like 50 tabs You're of the right. same recipe. <laughs> do you want to go yeah. back to one of these other 25 tabs? Yeah.
0: What was it though? What was the recipe? It
1: was a pork chop with a uh, mustard sauce.
0: Oh Hell yeah. Was it good? Yeah, obviously really we good. went back 50 times
1: yeah but I just kept forgetting <laughs> like how much like I was like okay half a cup of uh heavy cream and then I was like was it half a cup or was it a full cup right so I just kept googling it instead of just
2: clicking on the tab <laughs> you know who knows how to make chicken soup is Meghan Markle
1: I love all these questions, especially the one on like, why are they so gossipy? Because that's, you know, I don't know why the Brits are so gossipy, but I love it. Because they love trashy stuff. Like it's like the Daily Mail, the Sun. Um, And I feel like Americans are like, I don't know, I feel like
2: People magazine isn't as trashy, maybe I don't know. It's not as vicious either. It's like not as predatory. I was like, man,
0: the Brits. Well, we're predatory about not powerful people. Mm-hmm. I do think we are just as predatory, but I think we have – I think of like the early 90s, Jerry Springer, mm-hmm. like these people that we brought onto TV to mine the worst and deepest recesses of their lives. And that same impulse, that voyeuristic impulse, but it was always toward like, like trash – you know, then trash TV and, and people deemed in society as like, quote unquote, trashy people. But there is something in the British press where it's like this obsession with like celebrity that's almost like a photo negative of that. But it's the same thing in, in, in many ways. It's, yeah. they, they crave that sort of Jerry Springer-esque to tear these sort of like, I don't know, demigods down or something like that.
2: We do that, yeah. but somehow it doesn't feel like we chase them quite as much. But maybe we did. I we mean, don't
0: care as much, I think.
2: is like, yeah, the closest. I was just gonna say. Thing. I think it's it's a
1: big class difference. Where like, okay, the, the Kardashians, we chase them, we call them dumb, but they accept it. Like this is what's making me money, calling me dumb. Um, I don't think calling King Charles dumb is something the royal family likes, right? So that they're, they're like constantly manipulating that narrative because they want some kind of control over how they're mm-hmm. represented. Whereas the Kardashians like don't care unless it's, you know, Balenciaga using kids in a BDSM ad and then Kim having to say, no, I don't. Holy shit. That's this. a real thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You didn't see that. What? Yeah. what?
0: The that's, fuck? Those are
1: the only times where like celebrities speak up and they like release a statement and they're like, no, I don't condone this. I'm not associated with this. But other than that, like, people can say the meanest thing, about them but it's making them money so they're like go for it (laughs) (laughs)
2: yeah Yeah. what do we think about that like how well the royal family manages or doesn't manage the press because i think reading this it's very clear that they don't know how to manage the press and is it just because um is it just because that they're trying to maintain a certain air of dignity respectability and historical importance that they can't or is it just because they don't have the know-how because they seem to have press people they just can't control the press at all
0: I think one of the most um, like precious things they have and one of the most precious like terms is like the Royal Rhoda, which it, mm-hmm. it, it, the name itself implies that like yeah it is it is a sort of a vessel or it's sort of it's a thing that can be controlled by the various press offices but they don't really know that like the rota exist like they're parasites
2: like do we know how that works like i i was reading i was okay like hands up i read this book super duper fast like mostly on my phone so mm-hmm. i was not sure what half of those proper nouns were so royal Rota is this like a is it a set of people from the press or is it like a what what exactly from what is
0: i gather it? they're like Actual, like, yeah, like designated people from the tabloids, the sun, uh, the mirror, um, daily mail, all that kind of stuff who have like a person that they, that they send. And then basically the Royal family like engages with the Royal Rota. Right. But the thing is these press offices to try to sort of, you know, release the hot potato from one member of the Royal family to the other right? They'll lob these like major grenades. Mm. You know, the, the one in the book is, is, you know, William, this was like the, in the, you know, was it book three, chapter like 72, or whatever, where he talks about how William's office was constantly leaking shit about Harry. And so it was this, it was this thing in which like the Roto was weaponized. But I, I think, you know, probably in William's mind, and you gather that this is the case with like Charles and other members of the royal family, is that, you know, they think that they can control this machine or weaponize them against other people, and they have, right? They leaked, for instance, Harry's plans to go to Canada, fulfill his royal obligations. But what you don't – I mean, I guess what they don't realize or maybe they've successfully evaded in having to realize is that, like, basically that, that entire apparatus is is uncontrollable ultimately. And it's a parasite, and it feed, and eventually it will turn on you, you know? And so – you can sense within this book and this is sort of i don't know this is me sensing it is that harry talks about sort of there's a there's a sense within the royal family that you know the disparate offices can outrun the rhoda but ultimately we know that it can be weaponized i think about this in the context of like princess diana where i'm like if we know it can be weaponized and we know that the rota can be you know turned on to certain stories and turned off and things can yeah. be exchanged for certain information yeah i hate i mean in order not to break up that conspiracy theory i'm like did, but like did they kill her I mean, <laughs> you know what i mean
2: they well, you know they did they, right they, in a way they did they did yeah
1: i mean yeah the paparazzi literally chased her uh into an accident but you know the the weaponizing is used strategically it's not just like william being like i'm mad at harry so i'm gonna release this negative press about him it's that when um for example um there's a moment in the book where charles is releasing um negative stories about william because camilla's kids are doing something bad and so the media was starting to like fixate on the kids and then charles was Mm -hmm. like okay i don't want more negative press coming my way so we're just going to release juicy stuff about william so that they can focus on that instead Right, so it's yeah. like a managing of all the flaws the family has, but it's high stakes all the time. Like it's like, yeah. oh, like Harry was drunk at a pub. Well, we've now we've got to throw William under
2: the bus, right? <laughs> it's yeah, it's, it's this kind of like triangulation against each other that like the William and Kate camp, the Harry and Meghan camp, and then the the Char- oh good God, Charles camp, <laughs> like. And that's the kind of the thread that runs out throughout this whole book, The Sparer. Because I, when I was reading it, I really got the sense that part of this is, is like both trying to blow up the press wars, but at the same time, this is part of the press wars. He wrote it as a kind of middle, middle finger to the press, but at the same time, he was yeah. like, this is how I'm going to win. And you kind of get the sense that growing up, that the press is a constant participant in their lives. Mm-hmm. but. They never really had the sense that how do we become a united front, kind of against the press, right? How do we have a family story? It was how always how do we believe
0: in our like how do we ground ourselves in what is real? That is like a basic, fundamental thing of this thing, this I mean, book that I feel like hasn't really not, been articulated.
2: It's not real.
0: Is <laughs> it's, well, how do we how do we ground ourselves in what? Because I you get the vibe that some members of the royal family. The Williamses, the Charles, the Camillas, their sort of version of me, before we had the term post-truth, their version of the the truth is what they needed to survive. And I do think there is an element within this book in which there, some of them believe where they need to believe some of the mythology surrounding the family, just like the British public needs to believe in order to keep going, right? In order to even, I mean, I think of Charles where you're just like, like, just fuck up after fuck up after fuck up like this guy's just like like fucking up his entire life, you know, yeah, but how do you put one foot in front of the other? It's like you have to believe in the mythology of yourself at some point. you have to believe in the press is what some of these members of the family have and it's the only thing they have yeah. you know like it's it, you know what I mean like I think there I think that's one of the sort of really interesting wrinkles of this book is for Harry to tell the truth like to actually own the truth. It's kind of a radical act. The kind of a radical thing to do in a family that's steeped in mythology, and has to, and is forced to buy it into its own mythology.
2: I mean, what do we think about his truth? Like, what exactly is his his truth? I mean, yeah, like I one thesis, I guess, is the title when he introduces us to that, like that moment where um, he heard the story of how he was born. And from the quote, uh, from the book, it says, Pa allegedly says to mummy mom, to the day of my birth, wonderful, now you've given me an heir and a spare. My work is done, a joke, presumably. On the other hand, minutes after delivering this bit of high comedy, Pa was said to have gone off to meet with his girlfriend. Many are true words spoken in jest. It's also the tone of the whole book.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah this is, yeah, I think the theme of lies is like what Daniel was just saying is really interesting because like, conversely, Harry's presenting this as here are all the lies I've heard or you've heard. And I'm going to tell you the truth. And it's uh, we hyper fixate on the small things. Like, was I William's best man or not? Um, did Megan make Kate cry or did Kate make Megan cry over the dresses? Right. But then there's this like larger theme of, I thought mom disappeared. Um, and she didn't die and she was going to come back and this like larger fabrication that he has that colors his world. Um, and that, you know, then leads to like the anger issues and all the stuff that he's like processing in therapy. But I think that's the most interesting thing is how he's talking about himself and the media. And then, and then he throws in those juicy moments of like, well, then I got in a fight with William and I broke the dog bowl with my back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of salacious moments in this book, even the ones that weren't reported on in the press. Like, I mean, that's that's one of them. The other thing too is like when he bought the the Nazi uniform that like apparently Kate and William were present. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like he got, yeah, he got all the heat for do. it.
2: He is yeah. like throwing them under the bus left and right,
0: dude.
2: Yeah, you know, am really do such do. a bad hang in this book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you
1: know it's funny to like go to those moments where he talks and i've told you guys this when he talks about something that's happened between him and william and how he interpreted as like william's basically hating on me um so the one in particular is when they're both um training to be helicopter pilots and he's like oh we were living together and it was awesome but then we had this like media interview and then william starts saying that i was a slob that i wasn't like doing my part that we wouldn't live together anymore and he was like i was you know he he's like what is the word he uses i, I think he just says he was very confused about it but if you go to that interview and you look at their body language they're they, they both cannot stand each other like they're both like oh like he's gonna uh-huh. talk about how i'm bald and like william rolls his eyes and then and then uh um <laughs> then William starts saying that he's a slob and then Harry's shaking his head and he's like lies. And you can tell that there's this kind of frustration on how they're both talking about each other to the press. Um And so I, you know, this question of truth, like, what is the truth? I, I don't, I don't know. At times I feel like we have the proof. <laughs> we can go and analyze body language and how they're behaving um, yeah. or, or at times it's like, well, I don't, I don't know if Harry's just trying to make himself look better, like the Nazi uniform thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, truth there is tricky because it's almost like, what is the truth of a fight in a family? You know, what is the truth of a fight between siblings? Like, is there even Mm. such a thing as a truth there? But Mm. like, those moments are like, almost like the pettiest moments were some of the most Mm -hmm. enjoyable moments in the book. When, um, when he said he wanted to, there's so many funny, like, parts in this book when he's like i have an african soul where like africa was yeah. where i was meant to be <laughs> yeah one of the yeah. funny fights with like william is that um is about like who gets africa yeah <laughs> he goes, over several more heated discussions it emerged that willie when i'd gone to the mor- north pole had sadly been resentful he'd felt slighted that he hadn't been the one invited at the same time, he also said that he'd stepped aside gallantly, that he'd permitted me to go, indeed, that he'd permitted all my work with wounded soldiers. I let you have veterans. Why can't you let me have African elephants and rhinos?
0: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so cringe. I mean, that's the crux of the matter is that William has a kind of a sealed fate. Yeah. Like, and I do think most of the tension is this real anxiety over like what does it mean to be the product of media because it's not even just the british public. it's like and do or duty it's like to have your entire life narrated by the media for the rest of your life and you have this kind of like you were never really fully your person where's the spare you know harry took his life into his own hands in many respects right i think there's that resentment there and there's always been that kind of like the sealed fate element of Harry's life has been different, I think, from the get go, and that, I, that seems to be the source of, of tension.
2: Oh, That's yeah. sort of
0: latent throughout.
2: What is funny about that, though, is that this most of Harry's life has the feel of an extended gap year, even his time in the military. <laughs> I don't know if you guys had that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> feeling. Well, really? no, yeah,
0: he made it sound he made it sound awesome, and I'm someone who's like very vehemently dodged any kind of like military service.
2: He like says <laughs> he's know? carving his own path, which he is, yeah. you know, respect to that. But at the same time, every time he wants to do something, he goes to a guy and he's like, Hey, I want to do this thing because I think it might be my calling. And the guy goes, Yeah, yeah, I I think we can arrange that. <laughs>
0: <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> I sure you, I'm sure you could be they arranged for him to be a helicopter pilot.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not to
0: say it's I mean he learned how to do it in the end. Of, I mean, kudos to him.
2: Yeah, no, I mean but, wow, the
0: amount of the amount of like and it was like just an idea on a lark being like oh this you could do this you couldn't do this helicopter pilot that sounds like a good thing
2: yeah, yeah. it's impressive you know? but on the other hand it's also like i wish i had, had a guy you know does right all of all of these moments of
1: oh what think of something that i can do is in response to the media because the media is the reason he leaves afghanistan because hmm. they like the taliban are like or is it Iraq? Sorry. The first time where they find first out that Iraq, he's going to yeah. get deployed. And then yeah. so they send him to Afghanistan and then they find out where he is and then he leaves again and then he's like, I'm going to be a helicopter. Right? So each time that he's looking for a calling is in relationship to what he can't do because of the media.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and the, the media- Taliban. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and the Taliban yeah. although I mean it's crazy that they like would leak his whereabouts and stuff like he had mentioned in the book one of the big revelations was that like one of the leaks from I believe it was I shouldn't say maybe like I can't recall correctly but uh, but it resulted in like three American deaths Yeah. Right? because yeah. it was it was like an ambush it's like holy shit that seems like and I, there's one two ways you, you could feel about that which is like one you know maybe you shouldn't be there but then, two, it's like, wow. I mean, it really does underscore the insidiousness of that whole institution. And it just seems like, oh, man. I mean, I we haven't talked yet about the psychological aspect of that. You know, about, and, and this is sort of a late Baron, sort of the first chapter or the first book where she talks about like being beholden and almost having to sort of like be a puppet for this machine that like killed your mom. Like, that psychological blow is just – I mean, I, I think of how someone, like, compartmentalizes enough to do that every day. I mean, it's, it shouldn't be a surprise that he left.
2: Yeah. yeah I, I, I think mean, it – go ahead. Go ahead, Roger. Uh, okay. Um, I was just going to say that I think you, you've kind of – he traces it back always to – diana which is kind of the theme even when he's in the apache right and he's following these taliban fighters and on the motorcycles and he's kind of like can i take the hit can i take the hit and the question was that he steered it back to later was that did this remind me of like the paparazzi on their bikes yeah it's creepy is this what i'm like on some level thinking about when i'm when i want to take those shots which is crazy but you know it's understandable yeah. yeah yeah obviously this is
1: diana's death is the anchor of this book it's the reason why he starts when he's 12 and not like i remember being five and going to disneyland right like it starts 1997 um and then and then with that that's means, all right um but i think there's Talking about the psychological part of the book, I think that's why I was really interested in the phrasing of mommy disappeared and not mom's dead or any kind of acknowledgement that what happened to Diana um, was a result of their lifestyle, right? I think that's part of the reason why he can't admit that she's gone is because she fought against the machine so much that then ultimately the machine killed her. And so he's like, no, she won right he says that at some point he's like she's off living the life that she actually wanted to live and then when she's ready she's going to come back for me um yeah. and i i think that's one of the most interesting things about this book is that um that coping mechanism is part of the reason why he is who he is like that's like the 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 one that's always at the clubs the one that's always drinking the one that's like doing drugs <laughs> like because he's like Okay, um, I'm, I'm not going to deal with my emotions. I'm not going to deal with what happened. And so I'm going to be looking for myself through the military, through clubbing, through all the girls he dated but didn't date because then they were like, this sucks.
0: Dude, that part of the book does suck where they all take someone's life and just like ruin them. Yeah. yeah. Like they'll find like the weirdest tidbit of salacious past. Like underwear modeling for that one girlfriend and then just like i couldn't imagine i mean could you imagine i
2: yeah yeah
0: i was That's, i was, you yeah. know making
1: this joke uh where i was like halfway through the book i was like man i could have i could you know put up with the racism of of the uh, media. Then I was like, you know how much trash they would get on me just because of my third cut? I have a large family, like they'd go to my cousins. And maybe my cousins would be like, No, we're not gonna screw over Nancy. But like my third cousins, or like friendly friends would be like, Yeah, give me $5,000. I'll give you these pictures, right? Like, yeah, it is. They like do destroy your life like they they look for the dirt anywhere. Um, and then they'll find it, and then you're like, "Man, I forgot that when I was 21, I did this thing, and now it's become the defining fact about my life."
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah. now it's not even hard, right? You don't even even need to dig that that deep to find dirt on yeah. everybody. You just do it, dude. Yeah. 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 Put it online. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. everything you've ever put on. How many Facebook,
0: things do we? Oh, dude i I constantly find things I posted. Like it, when we were at Cornell, right, in 2011, that I'm just like, God, I can't believe I was so dumb. Yeah. Well, the discourse had not evolved that much by then, you know, but like some things, edgy things that I thought I was saying that I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> we're all going to get canceled by by chat. I want to get channel- canceled by chat GPT, where I'm like, dude, do, do a deep dive on Daniel Pena and, and research all of the like the worst things he said when he was 21. And then, like, put it on his Wikipedia page, <laughs> you know, like, or whatever it is, you know, this is like Daniel Pena is a bigot that does that.
2: They'll just make a chat GPT version of you. It's like, ah, oh, look at, listen to what this chat GPT version of Daniel said.
0: <laughs> Wait, well, you guys saw that thing, right? It said, I, I asked who is Daniel Pena, and they said it was like Puerto Rican, born in like 1977, <laughs> <laughs> like like, just totally not.
1: But it fused your life with that person's life because it was like published a book. uh, It was, yeah. It had parts of your life with another Daniel Pena's life.
2: That's so scary. It'll just fuse you. It'll be like a super Daniel Pena of all the Daniel Mm -hmm. Pena's in the world. Yeah.
0: I mean, this is kind of (laughs) like, I mean, that's kind of like Harry. That's what it is to be in the royal family where you're just like this amalgam of people's, not only like like mythologies about you, but they're like they're what they project onto you, and stuff like that. That's got It's gotta. He's living the real life version of like ChatGPT amalgam sort of algorithm thing.
2: But you know, in a weird way, we I already mean, do that with Diana. With all like, there's yeah. so much Diana. <laughs> like, yeah, there's like,
0: yeah, fan fiction Beanie about babies.
2: Diana. <laughs> like, and there's
0: holograms. holograms. We always joke about the hologram Diana.
2: Like, so many movies about Diana. More still in the pipeline. Just, that's yeah. the only
0: diana i recognize is the hologram diana i go to her for advice and stuff you know like like well he does have the little altars and stuff and they go to <laughs> yeah, like saint anthony for advice so i'm like Holo, hologram diana I have like a little vela burning for her just to be like you know you, you press like a little midi thing and it does like uh what's that shit fucking elton john song candle in the Wind. Oh my god! It's like a little, <laughs> da, 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 da. you know, it's like a like one of the like the little. If you open up like a like one of those little uh, birthday cards or whatever that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Know what I'm saying okay. Nancy's like yeah, it's just no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it's it's interesting because this family. I mean, I'm not like a big royal family follower, but their life events do coincide so much with our historical memory because I think like the yeah. 90s diana's death was like one of the, the clearest most vivid memories for me and i was like i don't know i was like eight or something and yeah, yeah. harry's kind of stint in the military the way he describes it it's so post 9 11 like the feel of it is just it's those are our our bush years so to speak yeah our bush years into the yeah. obama years so it's like they mark an era in a weird way
0: yeah yeah did you guys remember where you were when Diana died?
2: Yeah.
1: We were in school. You were in school? Yeah, we were I was Wait, I, did... I was we I was in fourth grade, so yeah, eight or nine. Um and we were in class, like we were at I specifically I remember we were lining up to go somewhere and then our teacher told us. Um because it happened what, like she's 2 like fun fact. in Paris, which was the night before here but then by the time yeah. the media released it in the uk um we were waking up to it right so mm. i do yeah, have i not remember good that moment but i
2: remember I also,
1: I also remember because she died the same year that mother Teresa died and so it was like we lost oh, angels like it was this big thing about like kind women dying
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: they're like so too Two beanie babies together to make them look like they're holding hands, and then like make a gazillion dollars. <laughs> it
2: yeah. it sounds that, like I, it would be uh, one of those time like People of the Year covers. It's very yeah. '90s. It's like Diana, Mother Teresa, Bill
0: Clinton, or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Bill Clinton is somewhere somewhere in there. It's very char, Jerry <laughs> charitable. Oh man.
1: But what do you guys make of? Sorry, I know we're jumping around a lot. Um. I was still thinking of the petty moments in the text with William, um, and they get pettier with when Megan rolls around and comes into the picture. Um, one that they've brought up in interviews that I love is when they're they're airing out their grievances. Um, and then Kate's mad that um, Megan talked about her hormones oh yeah um, and then and then william's like we don't do that in britain and he puts like
2: his finger in her face
1: <laughs> and oh like, wait let me let
2: like me okay finger. i pulled that up let me read that passage okay <laughs> so it goes kate looked out into the garden and the whole thing is funny because it's like kate and william invite you to dinner at this time <laughs> but they like go and like have dinner or whatever and then kate looked out into the garden gripping the edges of the leather so tightly that her fingers were white and she said she was owed an apology. Meg asked, for what? You hurt my feelings, Megan. When? Please tell me. I told you I couldn't remember something and you said it was my hormones. What are you talking about? Kate mentioned a phone call in which they discussed the timing of the wedding rehearsals. Meg said, oh yes, I remember. You couldn't remember something, and it's not a big deal, it's baby brain because you just had a baby, it's hormones. Kate's eyes widened. Yes, you talked about my hormones. We're not close enough for you to talk about my hormones. Meg's eyes got wide too. She looked genuinely confused. I'm sorry, I talked about your hormones. That's just how I talk with my girlfriends. Willie pointed at meg. It's rude Megan. It's not done here in Britain. Kindly take your
0: finger out of my face <laughs> yeah. well, this is very this is like very erudite arguing. This is not done here yeah. <laughs> take. Take your finger from my face. You could just. Uh. God, that's, that sounds so fucking like. How do you recover from that? Because not a simple I'm sorry won't do. And then also like. You don't want to say you're sorry because you're like, what the fuck, man?
2: But and then I, don't also, know like, I, I don't know if that's like as much of a cultural thing or they're just like they just don't like Megan. So they're just being like this. Yeah, I do like imagining like William being like. It's not done
0: here. <laughs> <get this> <laughs> Me out. Too. Where's it? It's Where's a, very a
1: fatherly scold. Uh, you know, like yeah. not done here, young lady. Um well yeah, I I love those petty moments um are amazing uh in the book. But that one and then um we were talking about whether like the truth that Harry's giving us and what kind of truth is it um when there's something negative about him he rarely goes into detail um and one moment that i was like give me more i don't want you to just vaguely tell me this was a fight is when he gets in a fight with megan when they're making like roasted chicken and he's like oh there was like there's like a cultural misunderstanding um and so i got angry and she left and i'm like no what did you say Like, you know, like, what was this fight? If she left and, like, removed herself from the situation, it was a big fight. But he, like, rarely tells us. um, He doesn't give us juicy details there. He gives us juicy details about William, but not
2: about himself. Because what he says about how she responded to that incident, where did you ever hear a man speak like that to a woman? Did you overhear adults speak that way when you were growing up? Like, what did he say? Uh,
0: We're getting to his psychoanalysis yeah. now yeah yeah i mean it, get, it gets it this sort of bigger question which is what is this book as an artifact we know what harry says it is which is the truth his version of the truth but what is it like what is it what is this thing that we're supposed to like carry into the world and like it's 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 fascinating but like what is it is it like a real i think about this like Is this this rehabilitation of image to some larger, like, endeavor?
2: It has to be. Is he –
0: does he – yeah.
2: Yeah, because I think it has to be part, you know, a shot in the press wars, also against his family. It has – it's also part therapy from what I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Part money spinner. Do you
0: think, though, that it's –
2: yeah definitely yeah not. that's a large how much money it. did
0: he get from this book because it's like a multiple book deal from penguin random house it's
2: oh he really it's got quite a million, bit, million for this book yeah
0: wow for just this book
2: yeah for just this book
0: wow yeah they're gonna yeah do okay. i don't I no,
1: you know this book reminds me quite a bit of diana's book the last one where everybody flips flip shit um Cause there, she, she like she did the morton book right which she didn't actually give the interviews for or something like that wait 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 wait
2: i'm getting this wrong wait i didn't even know diana wrote a book i just remember she did I those that TV interviews uh,
0: i just know that she played kristen stewart and spencer
2: <laughs> no the charlie
1: morton book highly recommended it over yeah and then she gave that interview with uh, the guy whose name starts with a b Um, Where the queen was like, all right, you guys are getting a divorce, we're done. Um, In many ways, this book feels like that, like a kind of like severance. Like, here is the ultimate thing I'm going to do and say that will sever my ties with the family. Um, um, Yeah, and that's, that's another way I was reading this book as a kind of, well, I'm not going back. There's no return to the royal family. So here's my farewell <laughs> and, yeah. and, and the threat that he can keep releasing things because he said that in the interview, he said this book was supposed to be 800 pages um, and most of that was supposed Shit. to be about Charles and William, but he was like, I decided. Whoa. Not to
0: give escape. me that book, yeah. man. Yeah, well, so we're I sticking wondering.
2: around for all of these. Just yeah. keep I need like them, multiple like dog
0: bowls. I need some multiple chains and stuff being ripped. Yeah, that's crazy.
1: And I, th- yeah, I, after, I do. you know, after he said that in an interview, um, because I was just been googling, seeing what the royal family was saying, and obviously they didn't say anything, um, but then slowly, like, pundits were like, "Oh, Harry and Meghan are definitely not invited to the coronation," and then there were some articles that were like, "Royal experts say that Charles and Williams are are, are willing to squash the feud." Right? Then there was suddenly this kind of like leaking of like, "There's going to be peace in the near future." Um, and I do think it's because he's like, I have more stuff if you guys want to hear it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is just family drama. I mean, it's 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 the biggest. He said this in his interview with uh Harry did in his interview with um oh man, was it Good Morning America or something like that? Where he said it's like the biggest soap ever or something like that. <laughs> but and he he's he says in that same interview that he hopes that the British monarchy can be restored. Do you buy that? or reformed rather
2: i mean now is a low point i would think like yeah i was just reading how alan Cumming, of all people like gave back his obe yes because he's like i don't know about this this royal family
0: i don't know about (laughs) the (laughs) honor he's like i I think i'm done i liked elizabeth or whatever (laughs) yeah i mean that's a that's a real sort of canary in the coal mine when boris from goldeneye Gives back his OBE. You guys remember he was he was the guy who was like the Soviet spy, like computer hacker in in Goldeneye. Yeah, that's and, who and his, you're he died into now. <laughs> yeah, in my mind, that's where he that's that's the Alan Cumming that should have won an Oscar, and yeah, that that is significant that he gave it back. I don't think it's I don't think it's much. I don't think it's long for this world, a monarchy, in any form. Yeah.
1: No, you know, we were talking about like the media's role in Daniel you, you were calling it the mythology of the family. Um the media didn't play a role until Queen Elizabeth's reign, right? Like the advent of TV happened with her. Mm. Yeah. Um so this is a phenomenon that only this family uh is dealing with. Um and I do think they're not prepared for the evolving ways in which we consume information and the ways in which we want to hate on rich people. <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah. yeah. Like
1: maybe maybe in England, like I don't in the UK, I you know, I don't know how they they generally have a favorable like percentage. Like I think they like 80% of the public is often happy with the royal family. Um, but there's such a global phenomenon that I don't know how much longer they can play the games they're playing with the media and still have a favorable um yeah yeah you know you from from the British
2: public yeah but I'm s- surprised because the the only way this came to my attention really is like I was not really a follower of the royal family was just how predatory they were of Megan who is not like a person yeah. I like cared about at all but it, this is so in your face and yeah it's something that I feel like I still don't fully understand because it's racism is like a strand in it but at the same time i am like i feel like they like amp up the racism because there's the animosity the overall animosity is just so high i'm just yeah yeah
0: it was just what's disturbing is in the tabloids we know that the tabloids are a mouthpiece of the various press offices he talks about in the book the bee Mm -hmm. the wasp who would be you know charles's press secretary um the fly which i think is williams press secretary but the daily mail has this you know how that like you said meg was upwardly mobile because she gone from quote slaves to royalty in just 150 years like shit like that where you're just like i i you know and this is the only one you know the, the social media post um joe marnie girlfriend of you uh leader henry bolton you know this invoking the sort of fear of a black king you know th- there is this weird it's like not even like contemporary racism it's like Deep fucked up. What what I would think of as like almost like it, it, the equivalent in the United States would be like antebellum South racism. These tropes about like bloodline and like the stuff you hear like invoked by Proud Boys and shit, like blood yeah. and soil stuff. It just makes that is like so seems, disturbing.
2: Yeah, it makes them seem knowing, so antiquated.
0: Yeah. Yes. Well, it, it's so old timey. It's and, it, and it's so it's at once so contemporary, but it's also like.
2: It's just baffling. If it's it's like reflection this is Britain not Africa and you're like, "What? What Yes. <laughs> what century is this this weird insult from? Like yeah. Like Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what is this even happening? Um, i
0: like I was in London once and then someone someone yelled at some guy for having an Irish face and I was like, "That is such a really singular <laughs> like <laughs> fucking like like this is like as as a Mexican American. I think you all look white to me." <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, fucking Irish. Fuckin'. It was this kind of like, it was a real vitriol, like real old timey, like, mm, that's like a, mm. but you yeah, know, this, this feels straight up like pre-Civil War almost in the American context, you know? Um, and the fact that like all these social media stuff, calling her a gold digger, calling her the N-word, et cetera, had been tweeted at the Royal accounts and that had not been like expunged, had not yeah. been erased. Yeah. yeah. They, they remain up there. It's really telling about sort of, and we know between the sort of the hairy interviews with with Oprah, in which just kind of revealed Charles's thoughts on like the color of the baby. Was it Charles's
2: thought? Because I like,
0: I thought it was
2: okay, because he didn't say in the people. book,
1: yeah, he just says people were concerned, uh, or Megan was saying that in the Oprah interview, it was
0: Charles, I'm but then, telling you so now, then,
1: but then. Then Harry starts talking about Charles, right? Then starts being like, I haven't talked to my father, blah, blah, blah. And so then everybody was like, oh. oh, the person who said that must have been Charles. But they never-
0: I
2: assumed it was Camilla, but maybe.
0: Oh, shit. That's an th- interesting theory. I mean, we haven't talked about so her in the weird. book yet.
2: He's so weird. Like that whole thing in He's the car about, I don't know if I have enough money to support you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like- like, I mean, he probably just doesn't like whatever is going on with Megan. But the the funny funniest way for that to come out is that I don't have enough money <laughs> right? to support you. <laughs> you guys <laughs> need to go out and like pedal your way. You guys need to write the a street.
0: You guys need to write a book about us or something, <laughs> and like just tell all our secrets. I don't know what you got to do, man, but just like,
1: yeah, please do uh, an we Bennett lounge.
0: <laughs> I, my fa- my favorite bit about Charles is that he listens to audiobooks on like a CD player. <laughs> there was that bit, you guys remember that for the like yeah. the first book? Yeah, he calls them his storybooks,
2: oh
0: and he God. just walks around.
2: No one grows with his up.
0: little <laughs> with his little headphones on, listening to God knows what.
1: See what he's doing like uh, yoga. This is in the first chapter too, or not chapter, but the first book, um, and he's doing yoga. And then like Harry's like 12 and he's running in and out of the rooms and he's like, no, dear God, please don't come in here.
0: <laughs> don't <laughs> yeah. fucking open the door, man. Yeah. My dear back's God fucked up from Polo. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. That's what he's That's what he's worried about. I, I do love that he calls him. Um, what's his what's his name for Harry?
0: Has no, you're not talking about um,
1: boy. It's, um, oh, darling boy. Darling boy. boy. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Oh yeah.
2: No one calls him Harry, right? So he's like no has Spike.
0: Spike <laughs> got a gazillion names, man. It's an interesting read. I, you know, I thought he had written it. It was ghostwritten, which yeah, was I, but I, 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 I was like, fuck, that's a good voice. I mean, he's a great reader, though. Yeah. At least in the audiobook, man.
2: man I regret not listening to the audiobook? Yeah, me too. Yeah. I was like, this it is so in his voice that I, I need to hear. I need to yeah. hear his voice.
0: He does impressions of American soldiers. It's really funny.
2: Oh, do you guys actually, you know the video he talks about where he called someone a Paki? (laughs) I went and like, I watched that video. Oh
0: Oh my God. He also calls him a,
2: a, what's it, like a a raghead or something or a,
0: it was something of that kind. Not good. Shit.
2: But I also, that's the section where I don't believe him, where he's like, I didn't know what this word meant. And I'm like, nah, I'm pretty sure you did. You spend yeah. like half of your life like reading the tabloids about yourself. I'm pretty sure you've come across that word in the Daily Mail. Yeah. Okay.
0: But this is sort of like part of the sort of like, it's it's, it's a heart of the matter with this unconscious bias, right? Or what mm-hmm. Harry sells as unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. And how, I mean, he has this line in 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 the book three where he talks about, he's like, you know, you're doing a disservice to yourself, the monarchy by not protecting my wife, you know, on the grounds of Presumably mm-hmm. on the grounds of race. But it's it's like they I think he sort of and do you buy this? Do they not know enough to get out of their own way? Is this is it actually truly unconscious bias? You're saying it's not, Roger. You're thinking like, no way he doesn't know this.
2: Well, I think in that incident, like are they that he knows yeah. what it means, but you know, there's that kind of military familiarity where you call people things that are rude, but it's a kind of bonding. And I think that's what was happening, but that could not be explained away. So the easier way to explain that is, I don't know what that word means, but I think like whatever is happening with Megan, with that family and the press animosity, the price press, like psychosis around that, I, I don't know. I'm not sure what exactly is happening there. I'm not sure why they were so hesitant to say anything about race. Yeah, You mean to, to acknowledge that the media is being very racist and that they don't stand for it? Or just to to acknowledge that in the media, but also just to acknowledge that it seems like in the family discussion, that this is different. That this isn't, yeah. oh, well, they talk shit about me and Camilla too. Like, it, it's not that, right? It's something else.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, there are white... I mean the, the idea of the monarchy is kind of like a white supremacist endeavor. You have like the, the diamond of India, you have all these like colonial symbols and markers and sort of like all of the stuff. Like I I think what Harry is getting at so much in this book is that like any argument for reformation of the monarchy is that like in its current form it's just like this vestigial Like element of, you know, colonial history at best, but like it's hate. You know what I mean? Like we, and the proof is in the pudding. Yeah, I mean with the way it rolled out with Megan, I think it's something that he couldn't say. As still holding the titles that he holds, I think yeah, he struggles with that quite a bit. What does it mean to be a part of this machine that was built on the mythology of like all the shit that Kipling wrote? You know, of the lesser people, the white man's burden. The whole thing; it even complicates his relationship with Africa, right? With Botswana,
2: yeah, his happy place,
0: where he's as this kind of like Oriental sort of experiences gaze uh, on, on sort of like the other.
2: Yeah, yeah. Not to get
0: to theory E about it, but how do you, how does one keep going in the context of knowing like your entire reality is built on that?
2: Yeah,
0: you know what I mean, like.
2: Yeah. I don't, I don't know, know how Nancy. deep Harry minds all of this, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, his, his, his shit on his, his shit on the military. I mean, <laughs> he was kind of it was weirdly it was weirdly jingoistic. I mean, he 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 says he wholeheartedly bought into the mission.
2: Yeah, he's which like, I'm like this oh, is my man, number. we know. I don't feel guilty.
0: And we know after like the discussion of WMDs, that whole thing was fabricated. Like, I, I do wonder about that, too, with it. I'm like, we know that it was kind of like a sham. Yeah. Like the whole endeavor.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I wonder how much, I'm probably reading too much into Harry's entire life, but a lot of the things he finds purpose in is in helping what he considers to be the less fortunate, right? Like whether it's charity work in Africa or wounded soldiers. and And there's a moment in the book where he talks about like these memories that he had, repressed about his mother that come up because he smells like a perfume or something like that yeah Um, and one is that he remembers his mom being chased they were in the car with her being chased by the paparazzi and she was running red lights and they were like oh my god she's gonna kill us and then she stopped and was crying and was like they're gonna kill us like one of these days they're gonna kill us um and how he was he suddenly felt very very sad um for her and william because william also well, he felt love for her and William, right, he says, because they were in the car. Um, and I wonder how much of, like, everything he does is this, like, compensation for not being able to help his mom, who seemed to be crying out for help constantly, like, to mm-hmm. both the kids and the royal family. Um, and the kids at the time didn't understand, but then it ultimately leads to her death. And then there's this kind of, like, I need to stop this from happening ever again. Um, cause I kind of think yeah. that that's his relationship with Megan. I think like Megan was like, look, um, the press is going to kill me. Um, and he was like, nope. And I think he said that he didn't want history repeating itself. And he was yeah. like, I'm getting out of this situation. Right. And I just feel like a lot of what Harry does is wanting to feel not useful, but wanting to help people that aren't trying to undermine him. Right. And he does that in the military and he does that through his charity work and with Megan, but not with his brother and father.
2: Like They're like, we don't need you. Yeah. 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 That is definitely like the haunting story of Diana is kind of like the blueprint. I think we're asked to, to read what happened with Megan and the press mm-hmm. is that here is someone who's also very successful with the public but Mm -hmm. somehow hated and chased by the paparazzi and by this particular kind of press. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now I keep to to throw back to that, that Spencer film at your, at your suggestion, Roja, I watched it and Holy shit. I mean, you really get at the, it's it's such a a painful, I know (laughs) it's like eating pearls and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, oh, no. She's like, it's like slurping sort of it like, with the soup. It's like surreal and shit. I'm like, oh, man. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah, wh- I mean, I think about like healing, like what does healing even look like for that family? Not to get like British tabloidy here, but like it, it it's, how do you see this playing out? Like what's what is what is the end game here in all of this?
2: i mean i have no idea i think i think he's
0: got to marry nancy right <laughs> nancy is like you're yeah, like if I, I, was there.
1: Yeah, I was sitting there reading the part where like <laughs> megan is um like she's surprised and like hurt that they say she's straight out of compton and that's that that was the moment where i was like man if this was me i'd be like yeah kind of like i'm I, like <laughs> i grew up well i grew up next to next to compton right uh, and then i was like that wouldn't be something hurtful this is i grew up in la like
2: I know Compton, but like I said, I love rest... how, like, Harry's reading of that was like, actually, it's quite a bit away from Compton. <laughs> you know, it's like, actually, <laughs> yeah. 10 miles away. And you're like, okay. I don't think that's the point, <laughs> Harry.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it, Megan, like, basically kind of lived the life I lived, which is um, she's born in LA. She went to private Catholic school um, in California, especially in the 90s in Catholic private school race wasn't a topic that most people were talking about like you lived in this weird liberal bubble where you were like it doesn't matter that i'm latina that's not it's not part of your like conscious um upbringing um and i i told you guys this but i didn't come into political consciousness until i was in college then suddenly i was like oh my identity It, you know, this is what it means when I'm in different context. Uh, This is what my upbringing, how it's translated in different spaces. Um, But Megan went to college and didn't, (laughs) it sounds like, didn't really embrace what it meant uh, to be biracial. Because she talks about it in the interviews, right, the Netflix documentaries. Um, She talks about sort of like um, not having to deal with racism. And her mom says that she protected her a lot. Um so th- those are all other elements that aren't yeah. in the book but I think are like important to understand why she reacted <laughs> to the, like why she felt so hurt by the uh British media.
2: Yeah. 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 She did like I don't know, but part of the presentation of her I do think came across as like almost too naive. Like I didn't like the whole thing about she's never googled this family that she's about to like marry into it's like i don't know i would have a google but yeah but i did um i did get that impression of her (laughs) that she was just this like very nice girl you know when they meet and she like immediately recites her cv and then he's like oh very good very good and uh like, nice. love that when she's meeting the queen and they're like okay oh my god
1: like the queen's at this lunch that we're going to and we weren't ready for it and you're going to meet her so you got a curtsy and they're like explaining protocol to her and she's like oh your grandma's gonna be there i love grandmas and it's like <laughs> you don't have to have googled the royal family to know that it's the queen of england and there's going to be some serious protocols that you need to know
2: <laughs> yeah but she was well, just, like, just like grandma what's your... <laughs> awesome but there was that also that funny part where um oh it's like escape me now but what did she say it was like uh oh yeah yeah about they were trying to find a place and time to meet up and she was like oh I'm busy because and I assume she was shooting suits but she was doing eat pray love yeah she literally (laughs) had planned an eat pray love trip and I'm like oh wow I also think we have to remember this is Did
1: what, it. two? No, actually, this, I was in my brain. This is like
2: 2017, She should 20. have been
0: reading better things.
2: <laughs> and he's like, oh, I didn't even know about that. I'm not a book guy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> They're like on another plane. It's, yeah. it's, it's, I kind of, I, there's part of me that I'm like, I want to know what it's like to look out of your eyes. It's got to be like, like the things they know and then the things that are just completely, like those little cultural things that are just completely outside of their, their valence
2: yeah they are like
0: interesting just like specimens of like people like what what in the world
2: yeah like they know like he knows this entire history of all of these castles that you know he frequents like oh the history of Balmoral but he like doesn't know oh what's he love like (laughs) it's
1: completely (laughs) yeah you know what I found also interesting is how much he resents not being like um book smart uh, and how much his dad loves shakespeare um but like throughout the book he's constantly quoting shakespeare and it's like you don't, yeah. you don't yeah. like it weren't good at it you did that one play um and yet it's like it's key to who you are because here you are just constantly quoting
2: uh what your dad is
0: like it, yeah it's like in his lexicon it's in his brain
2: yeah yeah by osmosis probably from the people around him yeah
0: I mean, I, imagine, I have some empathy for that or some sympathy. For it's like how tough it must be to even go to school after all this clusterfuck with like your mom and the press and Camilla and like, I would be bad at school. I mean, I would be terrible. And then at, at, at something like Eaton, no less, which is like an elite private school, like the school in the UK. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Well, he does give us, like, a small moment where he kind of, where he's thinking about why he sucks at school so much, and he doesn't, like, he implicitly states that one of the coping mechanisms that he embraced when his mom died was, like, not bringing up memories, so, like, not memorizing things, and so, like, at school, that was the thing he was the worst at, was, like, memorizing lines, um, anything that required memorizing, and so, like, there's that, it's a very small paragraph, but I think that's a moment where he's like, maybe I was just dumb because this is this is the trauma I got from my mom. And I didn't, like, no one helped me deal with it. So I just didn't want to read, didn't want to do the things that, like, meant that I had to recall stuff. I mean, I just found interesting everything that had to do with the Royal Rhoda and the ways in which that bureaucracy works in relationship to the monarchy. So, like, the feeding of stories, uh, the intentionality behind that so much of what we understand about like paparazzis is the fact that people are like no you're doing this without my permission and yet this book is like no there's a lot of permission that, that goes on yeah, um, yeah. in the monarchy's relationship with the media which i thought was really interesting and at the same time i wasn't shocked by it i, I was just kind of like ah, oh, that makes sense it makes sense that if you want to avoid um huge controversies you just throw your son under the bus because eventually another story comes out, right? Like, I could see them yeah. undermining these hurtful moments. Like, like obviously, Harry's very hurt by the fact yeah. that they throw him under the bus. But for them, it's like, this is our lives. Like, then they'll forget about what you did. And then another story is going to come up. And then they'll forget about that. You know, like, we just consistently feed this machine. Um, and there's no escaping it. Like, this is what we do. Whereas he's Man. like... No one's forgotten that I got naked in Vegas in 2014. <laughs> <laughs> like he's like, yeah. I remember. They remember. This sucks. Say something, right? Um, and everybody else is like, it's no, it's not a big deal. Moving on.
0: I mean, that does kind of suck, though. You because know, even those parts of his, I mean, so much of this book is the truth, but you still have those mistruths that he's still fixated on. Yeah, and you get the vibe. I mean, it, it is actually providing some dissonance to his real life. I always, I mean, so much of this book, I think about that, like, how is, how it is that you operate with what you know is true versus like, you know, the spin or the, the everything else. Like, it, it, I imagine, I mean, so much of that existence is just a meditation on like, like, what is true and, and like, does yeah. my truth even matter? What What's the value of the truth? Does it even matter? Yeah, like this there's this whole other conference?
2: archive out there. But also yeah. like, what I'm interested in is like, there's this like almost fantasy of what the British public is thinking that's constructed out of these tabloids and that yeah. they're strategically trying to steer and control. But, you know, I don't read any tabloids. I don't read People magazine. I'm like, how many people are actually out there reading any of this? But I guess, I mean, the point, I guess is like, by osmosis, a lot of it gets in. you've seen, you know, him with the swastika armband, and that's that stuff sure lingers, but most of it really, like, I think most people are not paying attention to. Um, But I guess like, the other stuff, I found interesting was just like, what is it like to be in this, this guy's brain? And it seems oddly ordinary, like this book, really gave you an impression is i'm just like a normal guy i just want to be one of the guys you know yeah like that was the tone of it but then some of it you just you get like like wow this is a very strange life you want to do something you just go ask a guy and you do it and people Mm -hmm. just invite you to the north pole and you just go and yeah yeah yeah, some of it sounds cool but the the press the press tour version of it is awful um but i think i never strung I never strung the narrative of a life together that way. So it was inter- it was a, like an entertaining and really effortless read, partly because, you know, the effortlessness of his voice is matched by a certain, like, doability of everything that he wants to do. That is very true. Yeah. 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 It sort of underscores
0: do, the sealed fate of it. You know, you're like, oh, of course, this led to this, led to this, led to this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know. I do love, I, I also was reading this and then, Sort of stopping and being like, "How much money does he make a month?" Because <laughs> he, he would be like, "Oh, I left school and I went straight to Botswana and then we did the safari, and then I went to the North Pole with my friend." Right? Like, there's, there's, and then then you couple that with Charles being like, "I can't afford you and Megan." Um, and I I really wanted numbers. I really wanted to know how much money does he have access to. When he goes to Vegas with his friends, they get, like, this giant penthouse. I know that those penthouses are very, very expensive. Like, how did they split <laughs> it? You know, like, did Harry give, like, $5,000? Uh, and this was just a weekend getaway. You know, like, there were moments yeah. in the tax where I was like, give me numbers. I want to know how much money this guy has.
0: Dude, if I'm, part- if I'm partying with him, I like I ever would, but I would expect him to foot the bill. <laughs> I'd be yeah, like, dude, you're fucking right? for, yeah, dude, come on, man. I know you're good for it. Yeah, you drive an Audi.
1: Ask your grandma. I yeah. saw.
0: The- yeah, ask your grandma. Just give that grandma money, dude. Come on. He drives <laughs> a Q5. He drives a Q5. I saw that. Uh, what was that special with? Uh, I think that was in the in their in their thing in that what was that documentary yeah, or whatever they put out on television. Netflix.
2: Like he's driving it around Santa Barbara.
0: Yeah, dude. I was like, fuck. That's a nice car, man. That's like a like an eighty thousand dollar car or whatever it is.
1: And they had a they had like. A- what did he have like a, a fifteen million dollar home in Montecito? This was something right like when he I like
0: how it off. this like wait <laughs> and it, it, the book just devolves into like how much money does he make now? Yeah, <laughs> he he <laughs> so did say funny.
2: something. He was like the royal family um, costs. It was some kind of like folk calculus that I'm not sure you know I trust, but it was like it costs British taxpayers just one one pint each a year. And I was like, what what does that For the mean? Security yeah
0: yeah that's a lot of yeah a lot of pints man anyways nancy's do we have nancy's margin notes
1: yeah i don't because the books in my (laughs) in my office but i just had those i just my notes were like both what we're talking about but also moments where i was like what the fuck like that that quote that he gets from brainyquotes.com by Faulkner yeah, yeah. and he was like, I didn't know who Faulkner was, but we were thinking the same way.
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> this is I what I people. mean.
1: He's
2: so like, I'm one of you. You don't know Faulkner either. <laughs> yeah. You look up quotes on one the guys too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I could see
1: him Googling like for this book and being like, how do like quote about the past, like never being in the past. And <laughs> it's like faulkner's the first option from brainy quotes and he's like yep right there
0: (laughs) (laughs) got it more likely the i do wonder how much of that was the ghostwriter and how much of that was actually like what the process was like i'm sure it was weird
2: i feel like yeah harry probably just sent like voice messages to this guy
0: (laughs) probably actually that's not a bad way of (laughs) that's actually probably not a bad way of cutting that is just telling anecdotes because they were so small the chapters are like bite size i was like oh that's got to be so
1: yeah they probably
0: were voicemail voice messages
1: i think you I'm know sure. the other really interesting...
0: sorry the oh, other no. really
1: interesting thing for me is um as i was reading it he he divides sections with dates like he'll be like june 2010 or 2012 right he gives he gives us a rundown of each year and i'm like my memory i don't know in 2011 what the fuck I was doing so I really like think I, I do trust like like I do trust his memory and like I do trust that he remembers like yeah. the he says he has a really good like um uh, what is it like a he remembers images very clearly right what is it uh-huh. photographic memory yeah he's got like a photographic memory um but I think the other part is probably um a lot of the, probably the ghostwriter was like okay let's talk about the Nazi incident and, like, going through this archive of what the media has and then jogging his memory and being like, oh, yeah, I remember that day, like, I went to William's house, right? Like, I, mm, I even yeah. though I trust that he does have photographic memory, the specific details that he goes through for each year of his life after 1997 was just too good <laughs> that I was yeah. like, you yeah. yeah. had to have had some kind of help. Like, someone must have come up to you, a friend and been like, remember, we used to eat candies in seventh grade when the teachers went to bed,
2: you know?
0: Yeah. With the <laughs> opal, the opal shit that was like not starburst, but then it became starburst later. He was like
2: yeah. texting his old school yeah, friends. Hey, Buck, it's has, do you remember what we used to do in school? <laughs> yeah.
0: I like that impression of like, oh, there's a guy named Buck. Cut that out. Love it.
2: Yeah. yeah. I can imagine him just like telling an anecdote, but the ghostwriter, like having to come back and be like, wait, when was this? What was the context? How did you get there? And then him having to, like, reconstruct it. It's like, oh, I was in a helicopter, actually. so much of
1: that, I think, was using what the media had already, which is interesting when we're talking about truth, right? Like, if you're using the lies to jog your memory,
2: uh, what is the truth? (laughs) That's true. It's like every event was something that made him mad.
0: (laughs) That's what I'm saying Is is that, like, I do feel like this is a big meditation on, like, what is true and then what is true to you. Because mm. I think there's a distinction between like what actually happened and what you and I think this is sort of the heart of the matter with like the royal family. I think it is obviously an institution that has bought into the mythology of itself to the extent where I think they have a warped relationship to the truth. Not to say that Harry doesn't. I think Harry's doing the work. He's going to therapy. I'm sure there is. He has his own truth. Like we all have our own truth. But one of my favorite quotes is from Ben Okri, who says, "You know, we're the only the products of the stories we tell ourselves." which I, which wrecks my life. I think every, every time I think about that, because you it, kind of the onus is on you to sort of, you could change the story at any time.
2: Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Like we're only the products of the stories we tell ourselves, but yeah, the, it, it really does sort of like tug at some, some more interesting questions of in the book, the process of it. And yeah. Yeah. How, yeah. I yeah. guess the truth you need to survive, right? And to keep going, yeah. Maybe He's that's a nice way to managing sort of his it own
2: personal narrative. But it's like you said, Nancy. A lot of this comes from an archive that just makes him mad. <laughs> like it's like everything that yeah. you know, everything that triggers him is also all of the documentation of his life is just stuff that makes him angry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Plus, some fond memories, I guess. Yeah. Some photographs, probably.
0: What's giving you guys life this week? What is giving you energy? What is giving you release?
1: Yeah, watching old movies that I've never watched. You know, like the classics that people talk about. Um, so I, I've yet to watch the original Star Wars, but like that's something I'm gonna be doing soon. Did watch Jaws for the first time last year. Good movie. Um, I'm watching a lot of war movies. War movies, yeah, yeah. Like, Mm. I watched what's that one, um, 1914? It's just a date. Uh, Oh, we're talking
0: about the um, yeah,
2: Winslet's husband directed it. Oh, is the um, Sam Mendes that one, 1917? Yeah, Sam Mendes movie, yeah, Mm. great, great movie. Um,
1: so yeah, I'm 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 watching movies that people are like, What? You've ever seen that before? And I'm like, Nope. But let's let's this is this is like my hobby right now. <laughs> and, um with my partner, I'm just like, what movie should we watch? And he's like, Have you ever watched Aliens? And it's like, Nope, put it on. <laughs> Editor, <laughs> put
2: it on. <laughs> Actually, I have a movie recommendation as well. Um Yeah. So name? we watch a lot of horror movies. Uh and The last one we watched was possession from 1981 by andre zalowski and it's one of sam neill's i think earlier movies and with isabel adjani and it's it is like wild like i don't want to give anything away because that movie is like it's it's kind of um it has that vibe of like you know how like early like 80s late 70s movies everybody is like hysterical of this like underlying Freudian obsession all the women are all like just like oh like all the time and this pushes that basically (laughs) to the (laughs) limit and it's like this weird like kind of possession slash reflection on the cold war slash monster film I don't want to give anything else away Mm -hmm. and it's super like like um Freudian symbols everywhere it's amazing highly recommend it
0: oh dig it What's it called again
2: possession from 1981
0: possession
2: yeah what about oh, you Daniel? man
0: i you know i gotta be honest i'm like in this moment now where i'm just like doing annual evaluations for like doing a bunch of like boring academic stuff the thing that is literally actually sustaining me is this coffee called dalmeyer prodomo which is a german coffee talking about royalty was the official supplier to the kingdom of Bavaria before that whole thing imploded and uh, an amazing, it's just, it's just like the best coffee I've had in my life. And it's just like a super, like a supermarket coffee that like, you know, you can get anywhere in Germany, but anyway, the H-E-B right next to my store, which is like our big supermarket just started carrying it. And I'm feeling like I'm obsessed with this fucking coffee right now. I can't get enough of it. It's like my blood type right now. It's what I'm drinking right now. Dalmeyer, prodomo d a l l m a y r prodomo but uh yeah that's the thing that's giving me life this week
2: oh. maybe if they ever listen to this
0: we can get some some like product get some <laughs> yeah. Yeah. not a sponsor not a sponsor of the pod, but would be rad if we can get that
2: yeah, <laughs> we'll mention your product <laughs>
0: yeah hell yeah. Well, I guess uh, from here, we'll just wrap up. You want to say any last words? Mm,
2: would we recommend this book? Should people read it? Should people read Spare? Yes.
0: Yeah. Yes, definitely. It's a, yes. It, 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 it's as an thing. artifact, it's a really interesting – it's a thing. It's a, It's an interesting thing.
1: Yeah. I, I also like want to speak especially to the people who are like, oh, my God, he's uh, – he keeps like, I'm over it. Like he keeps telling us the same thing. Like the book is 400 pages. Like there's a lot more content than just like the things you've seen in the interviews,
2: um, which I think is worth the read. But yeah. if you wait till it's like a bargain bin $8, that's also acceptable.
0: <laughs> I would say <laughs> if you get a
2: free trial of audible, that would probably be the best
1: way because you get to hear him and you get to hear his accents it's Ooh. what i
0: did it's amazing
1: yeah
2: that's the wreck audible free trial Audible free trial
0: audible free yeah. trial <laughs> all, right. all right we'll see you around the ranch everyone